Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode is brought to you by alienware during dell tech fest score game-changing innovations with limited time deals on select next-gen alienware gaming tech new dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the alienware m18 laptop powered by an intel core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals liquid cooling three-dimensional audio with dolby atmos and impressive overclocking potential your dream setup amazing prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only at alienware deals. That's alienware.com slash deals. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. <laughs> I love that it's KidSafe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccans. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. As we record today, India is awash in a series of enormous protests in multiple places. Uh, with multiple groups participating, particularly farmers' unions. Uh, you may have heard some stuff in the news about the farmer protest in India. You may have also heard us talk about it on previous Strange News and Listener Mail segments. As we begin, we'd like to thank the many, many listeners who reached out to us uh, through the show or reached out personally to give us a uh, at times conflicting perspectives on this continuing situation, because according to some sources here, there's more to the protest uh, than you might think. And and Matt, Noel, I, I think it's safe to say a lot of people in the West aren't maybe read a couple of headlines, but aren't totally aware of the situation. Would you agree? Yeah, I would fully agree. And a lot of that has to do with 
it being a kind of difficult uh, topic to parse through. There are a lot of places and organizations and rules that exist that are uh, that that just don't exist within a lot of our frameworks, right? So then you have to do a lot of educating yourself to uh, man, come on, man, don't do, do it to me. As a no, but as a as a as an individual, there's a lot of learning you have to do to even really digest what's going on. Even even an outlet like the BBC, when they're going through and trying to explain exactly what's going on, it's it feels a bit difficult. Because there's just so much to get through. And honestly, we, we heard for all of three of us heard from a listener uh, who suggested this topic in the first place. And we did cover this in a much more condensed kind of quick hit, you know, introducing some of the terms and the main players uh, version in a um, listener mail episode. But that listener did write back and, and say that, you know, they thought that we basically got the gist of it. So obviously this is a deeper dive into that topic. Um, and I think this might even make for a two-parter, right? Right. That's correct. Uh, as I was going to say, this is going to be a two-parter. I want to thank everybody who reached out. Um, past our li- initial listener, uh, there were a lot of people I reached out to personally on online via social media uh, to get a better take because you'll recall when we talked about this in our previous Strange News and Listener Mail segments, uh, we did explicitly ask for some perspective from people on the ground or people who had family members living in India or even participating in the protest. And fellow conspiracy realists, uh, you delivered and not everyone agreed. Uh, not everyone I spoke with at least agreed on the ultimate motive of the protest, the origin and the what might happen in the future. And that makes sense because this is so complex. This um this is occurring in a country with ancient, ancient history, right? And as we'll see, uh, this may also rope in other nearby countries that all that come with their own complex historical baggage with India. That's one way to put it. Uh, but I, I love the point about just how fundamentally different and unfamiliar this this situation may seem to a lot of people. In the West, when we're talking about farmers, uh, you may immediately have some, depending on which country you live in, you may immediately have some image that pops in your mind, right? Some Somebody in overalls, they got a John Deere tractor, you know what I mean? They're like getting up and they... They uh, they're getting up before the sun. And then, you know, there's a moment on a lazy Saturday afternoon where they uh, they look out over fields of grain and they think, you know, this is the life that stereotype might be true for some places. Right. Maybe parts of Midwest uh, United States, but it's not true all around the world. So when we talk about the protest, we first have to learn about what it is like uh, to be a farmer in India. So here are the facts. Okay, so the farming industry in India is absolutely massive. Uh, The Economist has a report indicating that nearly 60% of all Indian citizens depend on agriculture for their income. Um, And that's 50% of the people in a country with a 1.3 billion population. So I mean, this is an incredibly 
uh, incredibly staggering number of people that depend on this industry. Um, and anything that affects uh, farming has a direct day-to-day impact on the lives of these people and therefore the country as a whole. And, you know, there's this legacy uh, that's been over 50 years running of Indian farmers selling only in these um, state-controlled wholesale markets that are, you know, absolutely regulated and uh, monitored by the government. Uh, But they're not able to sell directly to buyers. And this makes for kind of an interesting situation. Yeah, this is one of the first places where we can bring in a vocabulary word. I believe what we're talking about here, these state-run uh, areas where you can sell. These are what would what are referred to as mandies. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind if we ever mention that again in the show. Is that like shorthand for mandatory? <laughs> uh, I you know I I don't know. Uh, that's it's an interesting question. Is M A N D I S this for um, for a somewhat similar U.S. comparison? Consider buying a car. Like for uh, the longest time, you if you wanted a Ford, you couldn't just write to the Ford company and have them ship you a car. You had to go to a middleman, a, a, a dealership, right? You know, like Loco Johnny's f- f- Fantastic Ford Fiesta outlet. They only sell Ford Fiestas. And, and, that, and that arrangement is the only thing that keeps those dealerships alive. Otherwise, you wouldn't need them. And you would be able to go directly to the uh, the company, which I think is what's happening with Tesla. I think Tesla owns and operates its own, quote unquote, dealerships that still look like those tra- the traditional dealerships that you're talking about, but a different model entirely. Well, and, and a lot of that was put in place, at least theoretically, to prevent um, quick monopolization of something like the manufacturing process to the selling process to the, you know, even if you go back further, the gathering of all the materials. So like you, it was like government mandates or government uh, regulation to prevent a thing from happening. A lot of times that's why middlemen get involved. Yeah. This is meant to now. obviously people who are against government regulation in the audience today are going to think this is a terrible plan, but it comes from theoretically, a, a good place. So the the idea, a lot of the issues here hinge on something called MSP or minimum sale price. This is a guarantee that is kind of, in some ways it's a safety net or it's kind of insurance for farmers when they sell particular crops. The government agencies buy these crops at a promised price to the farmers and this MSP cannot be altered. So when you are growing, you know, onions or whatever you're growing, uh, the MSP in theory means that you will know in advance what your crop is worth. And this can protect you if you are in a situation where prices plummet for some political or environmental reason. You're also able to benefit if, again, in theory, if prices skyrocket, right? So, you know, you know, there's not a cap on how much you might get, but you definitely know there is a floor. So this this is powerful. It, it seems that way, Ben, but just so I understand, so you definitely aren't locked in at that, it's minimum. So like you still benefit from the, uh, you know, if, if a commodity uh, becomes worth more, but you're never going to be beholden to, you know, the floor dropping out of the market. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the basic idea. Um, 
According to Makala Krishnamurti of the Ashoka University, this means that wherever you find a large number of small sellers, they can be vulnerable to the actions of larger monopolies, right? So uh, without like, so imagine if we want to continue this increasingly tricky car analogy, which I hope I don't regret. Uh, imagine you make rubber and that is used in tires and you don't have a huge rubber empire. You have like a small area we make a small amount of rubber and let's say let's you'll say five hectares worth of rubber plants yes perfect that's exactly how much rubber we make and the uh five of us on the show today you listening and and paul and noel and matt and myself we all live kind of in the same area we all have our hectares of rubber uh a larger company comes to us and they say look we know that you need to sell this rubber and we know you want to sell it for $10 per, you know, unit or whatever. Uh, but we will will buy it, but we'll only give you three bucks. The, if there was an MSP law of some sort, then the government would step in and say, nope, sorry, uh, we'll buy the rubber and we'll buy it for $10 because that's the minimum price we guaranteed by law. So in theory, this could be a good thing. But the problem is over time, these laws have proved, in one way or another, disappointing to a ton of people involved. Uh, you know, farmers will say there's a lack of transparency, which is true. Uh, they may say there's collusion amidst different players or stakeholders, which obviously is going to happen at some point. And they'll also say the there are problems with price-fixing agreements. And then this leaves them out in the cold financially. Yeah, and... Under the current system, at least according to numerous government officials, one in particular who was interviewed by the BBC, they state that under this this regime of laws, the MSP using Mandy's, and this is me quoting him essentially, but he was saying that India has been sitting at a 50% efficiency level essentially with the farming, like what actually gets produced and what is actually sold compared to what is being um grown so like uh all of the crops being grown versus what's actually being sold and uh consumed it, it's a bit strange but but just essentially it hasn't been working perfectly or at least the way it was intended to work right because it's still like in our rubber example uh we're talking about a monopsony not a monopoly a monopsony which means there's only one buyer uh so you could level the same criticism uh, at times at the Mandy system by saying there is only one buyer and it's the government for the, the farm. And, and technically, both monopolies and monopsonies are illegal because they can cause huge benefits to a single group or individual, but really unfair disadvantages to the sellers or the buyers in the case of monopoly. Yeah, exactly. So Delays in payments can force farmers to borrow heavily from money lenders. And then this, in turn, can create a cycle of debt that becomes, at times, uh, impossible to escape. And that is why one of the primary stated goals of the protesters is debt forgiveness. Like, have, our, have our, some of our qualifying debts cleared off the slate 
either way you look at it, no matter, and we'll probably say this multiple times uh, in this series, no matter where you stand personally on the protest, there is no getting around it. Life is incredibly tough for many, many farmers in this country. Yes, farming is an absolutely demanding occupation across the world, no matter what you're growing or who you are, but making a living this way is particularly difficult, increasingly difficult for a lot of farmers in India. Yeah, with with any farmer, you're at the mercy of the weather. And, and you know, in a lot of places here in the United States, it's food is grown in places where the weather is a little less unstable. But uh, if you if you look at India, there's there are quite a few areas, especially with the amount of land there and the the number of places where food is grown, considering the percentage of, you know, f- uh, farmers versus other occupations. I think the BBC quoted was four in 10, four in 10 people in India are farmers, essentially. Uh, we, we, we mentioned it was like 60 percent. Are, are mostly basing their income on farming, but like four in 10 are just farmers. But that's not all they're dealing with. They've got all the kinds of state and federal regulations. Again, most farmers are dealing with that, but there, there are a lot of particularities here in India that make it different. And the price f- fluctuates on, on various crops a lot. So, yeah. I mean, it's not easy to predict what you're going to be able to make, what you're going to be able to spend in order to make money. And it's also not easy to make a sharp turn yeah. in, in terms of what you're producing, right? If, you, if, you're, if you're like an onion guy and you know that the onions, uh, onion market might not look that great, uh, it's tough for you to suddenly say, okay, well, you know what my thing's going to be now is wheat, you know what I mean? You you can't suddenly turn the machine very quickly. And it's somewhat inaccurate to say onion guy because women are a huge, huge part of the agricultural system of India uh, and also have a very small share of land they actually own by comparison. So that's one of the other factors that comes into play. Uh, another one is the lack of what we would call mechanization. Uh, there's there's an economy of scale with farming, right? Anybody who has started a home garden or something like that can tell you uh, about this economy of scale and the machines, the tools and technology that are used in a lot of modern farming interest. Uh, they're not as present for for a lot of farmers in India, and this stymies progress. You know, it makes you work harder for less. Really, is what it comes down to. And this leads us to um, a tragic fact that has to be acknowledged here at the top. Shocking numbers of farmers have been driven to suicide. And this was a trend that was occurring far beyond the new laws that triggered the protest uh, before the COVID pandemic, uh, when those laws were pushed through in what is arguably a conspiracy India's Economic Times reported that as many as 42,480 farmers and daily wagers took their own lives in 2019. It was a 6% increase from 2018. So the situation was already dire for many, many people. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. 
Um, well, we're going to take a quick ad break and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about these bills and the conflicts with the interests of these workers and how this affects their daily lives. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids, but I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then... You found yourself subscribed. Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. We're back. Yes. Conflict and laws, as Noel said. So in September of 2020, 
as the world uh, struggled amid the COVID-19 pandemic, the government of India initiated what was called the Indian Agricultural Acts of 2020. Their street name is just the Farm Bills. Yes, and and there's this is a series of laws uh, or acts, and so let's go through them one at a time and kind of break it down. The first act expanded the scope of trade areas of farmers' produce from these select areas to quote any place of production, collection, or aggregation. I know that sounds a little bit dry, but it, it essentially what we're going to see is these acts are removing so many of these protections that we're talking about and almost like creating kind of a fend for yourself situation where in the past they had more support and more, um, I guess, guarantees. Uh, so well, this, in, in the yeah. government itself, that specific part of this first act is saying that, oh, well, now the farmer is free to sell their mm-hmm. crop to anyone and everyone. But it just also means, but we're not going to be there to help you and help to subsidize you anymore. Um, Part B of this act allows electronic trading and e-commerce of scheduled farmers produce, which also on the surface sounds potentially positive and like a step toward the future. Um, And then the third part of the first act prohibits state governments from levying any market fee, uh, cess or levy on farmers, traders and electronic trading platforms for the trade of farmers produce conducted in a quote outside trade area. So it's just saying like we are not going to subsidize the trades that are outside of our little agreement or those Mandy um, markets. Yeah. And and just to be clear, cess, C-E-S-S. Is uh is a synonym for like a tax or a levy or a fine? Yep. Yeah, and and it's really interesting because it's just it really is trying to revolutionize the current system. And what this whole see, our two episodes that we're going to be covering on this is does that mean who does that mean revolutionizing it for? Right. <laughs> yes. We both. Right. Yeah. Because that that's exactly what what's happening here. It's tough because if you listen to the official statements, it does, it has this spin to it that feels like, yeah, this is the, this is feeling good, the right way to go. But as we go deeper and deeper into learning about what this first stack does, uh, it just, it seems like there's a different picture there that's, that's being hidden. Yeah, you're right. And this, the second act uh, gives a, what's best described as a legal framework for farmers to enter into contracts with buyers directly. These contracts can be, you know, prearranged before the harvest. They can mention pricing. So you can go directly to this customer, whomever they may be, uh, without having to go through this government mandated system. There's a dispute resolution mechanism without getting too much in the weeds. uh, The, third act removes uh, what's called stockholding limits on agricultural items. So this means that uh, before this act was proposed, uh, there, there were limits on like how many onions someone could own. I don't know why I keep going to onions. Potatoes are in there too. <laughs> uh, yeah, potatoes and onions are two of 
main foodstuffs within within uh, India, right? Indian and cooking. Like, I mean, think th- about Indian dishes. You know, there's always an onion base. Potatoes are huge staple food uh, in various curries and and you know um, dishes. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. And by removing the limits on the amount that you have that you can store, you're really only that's really only helping any company or farmer or family farm that can hold massive quantities. Right. Right. We'll we'll talk about it. Well, yes, yes. (laughs) And uh, they, they do have baked in an exception where they say a stock limit can be imposed if there is a steep price rise, but, but what constitutes a steep price rise? That's another question. Oh, hey, really, before we go back in, that um, in the second act, there's that thing on the dispute re- uh, resolution process. Yeah. Um, because that re- that one really is about legal framework overall. It reminds me a lot of this thing we've discussed on the show before called arbitration. Yeah. They are, I'm assuming we're going to talk about that more, but it it rang very much like that to me as I was reading through some of it. Well, let's talk a little bit about it now, because arbitration can definitely feel conspiratorial. Um, Arbitration, when you sign something that has what's called an arbitration clause, you are agreeing that if you have a problem with any of the parties cited in a contract, it is not going to go to court. It is instead going to go to uh, another, a, a body of some sort that will hear hear what your beef is and then decide whether they think you're legit or whether they disagree with you arbitration uh the a lot of arbitrators and a lot of arbit, arbitration clauses get a ton of criticism because they're seen as crazily biased like let's say you're working for um uh, what, what's a what's a silly company? You're working for a company that makes zip lines. You guys remember zip lines from the outside mm-hmm, totally. days? Oh yeah, <laughs> I remember those. All right, great. So you work for Big Zip, and uh, you sign this contract that says if you have a problem with your relationship with Big Zip, or if something comes up, then uh, instead of going straight to a court, you are required to go to this arbitration council. So let's say one day. Um, your boss or a coworker uh, does something egregious. They, you know, they are like making you feel unsafe, saying weird sexual innuendos at you, and you're like, "Hey, I'm just here to make these zip lines, cool your jets." Uh, and then it it becomes you know untenable, and you say, "Okay, I'm going to go to the zipline arbitration council," and they hear your claim through whatever process they have. And they come back and they say, nah, then that means it's a legal dead end for you. And that's that's one of the concerns, right? Is that where we're going, Matt, for the yeah. second act? Yeah, essentially the way I'm thinking about it is the system is being set up by the government. The rules are being put in place by the government in how things will be disputed. And one of the big problems with arbitration is that you're not like you like you're in that situation you just described, Ben, and you want to raise a flag and you want to tell someone and you want to like take action against this thing rather than doing that independently or doing that, you know, it, with the, uh, the laws that are in place, wherever you are, where the zip lines are being created, you now have to do it internally with that organization essentially. And that's just what it feels like to me, like what the government is setting up 
is in kind of an internal uh, way to settle these disputes. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm completely wrong and somebody call me out on it. It's just that's I got a whiff of that from this. No, act. that's that seems like a reasonable assessment. Yeah, the potential is definitely there. If not, uh, you know, if if there isn't a proven case of this yet, because as we'll find, the laws are on hold currently. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah, be naive to say that the potential is not there. I mean, in in some form of arbitration exists in pretty much every legal system, right? Every state level legal system, and that's why the criticism of this is uh, so profound because people have, if not in the case of Indian farmers, they have seen arbitration go wrong in numerous industries in numerous countries for decades and decades. So it's it's not somebody just like being scared of the legislative wind, you know, uh, but people knew about this stuff before September. It only really started getting international press or press in the U.S., uh, back in September of 2020, but in Punjab, people were having smaller scale protests all the way back in August, because that's when those bills were made public. And then when they passed in a very, very, very shady way, forced through without counting votes, not really consulting the farmers who would be affected by this, when that happened, the protest kicked into high gear. There was really some octane added to them. And that's why per reports from trade unions that um, instituted a nationwide general strike, they say that on November 26th, 250 million people participated. And as we said earlier, that's out of 1.3 billion people, but that's still a huge chunk, you know, and those weren't all farmers. Those were a bunch of other like union members. Yeah, and it, this is highly, highly important to this story. It was it was made public in August, and then the next month it was passed. And as Ben said, those are trade unions. There are f- like essentially farming unions that needed to be consulted in order – they should have been consulted in order for this to become a law. Uh, and a lot of the protest is about that very fact that it was forced through and it felt forced through. I think we just didn't mention it before um, at the top here, but the, the general view of these protests is that the prime minister himself and those around him are the ones who made it happen so quickly because they knew it was going to be so unpopular. Right. Prime minister Modi. Yeah. Who is, who is a main character in this story. I mean, it's a fair question. Is it not? If this bill is uh, so wonderful for me as a farmer, then why wasn't there a chance for more discussion of it? You know what I mean? It's like if country's population was a bunch of chickens and they had elected a fox and the fox said, I've got this new hen house policy. It's amazing. You're going to love it. We're getting rid of all those tiresome fences. Anyway, this is going to be great for everybody. Don't worry. It's already passed. Stop. You'll have have the freedom to go wherever you want. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, And we're we're going to make uh, we're going to make bigger doors, too, so that, you know, you don't have to squeeze through them. Right. And you can that way you can carry a whole nest of eggs out with you. If you have to, you know, in an emergency, it's just for your safety. 
It's for your safety. It's for the greater good, really. Uh, the protests occur in multiple places. So it has some similarities to here Here in the U.S. A lot of people will be thinking of uh, Black Lives Matter protests or maybe earlier protests like Occupy, which was also in multiple cities. Uh, this occurs in Punjab, in Haryana, Uttar Pradesh, uh, Kerala, and more. We should also note, of course, that we are not native speakers, so apologies for any uh, unintentional mispronunciation. People marched, they literally marched to Delhi once the railway services got suspended in October. This is a mass movement. This is not one of those flash-in-the-pan uh, protest, uh, you know, uh, about a Walmart being built or something, and and a ton of people Voltroned up together. Like I, I don't know about you guys, but I had no idea just how many farm unions exist in India. The answer is a lot. It's a, it's a lot more than you thought. If you thought there was one, I mean, it makes sense given the stats we listed at the top of the show. Considering that, what is it, fifty eight percent in a country of billions, you know, is are absolutely directly involved in that industry. I, I don't doubt that that's the case. Yeah, a lot of different states, a lot of different areas, a lot of different products and or crops, you know. So there are a lot of different ways you can have uh, separate entities that are working with different farmers, different organizations, different stuff. But yeah, they really did Voltron, man. And they did all kinds of stuff that you do in a protest. And one of the big first things was essentially the the old school civil disobedience. Let's not necessarily let's not do anything violent in the beginning let's block progress for something small like blocking a road or you know a border to so people commerce can't continue to happen while we are protesting um it's like hurt the purse right rather than the person yeah that's a good way to put it and this this kind of organization at this level is Pretty impressive, especially when you consider just how diverse the population of India is uh, across numerous swaths of demographics, and that'll come into play later as well. We're we're I know we're we're building up a lot of stuff here, uh, mm. but we, we we want to provide clarity and context. Yeah, they also held parades, uh, driving convoys of tractors into Delhi. I thought the tractor convoy was a cool idea. Protesters alleged that the authorities responded with some pretty brutal tactics, cutting off access to vital supplies, food, electricity, water, and so on, and then also creating barricades of their own uh, to both reduce the mobility of the protesters or fence them in wherever they were camping out, and then also to deny the uh, wrong type of journalist access to speak with these folks directly. The media is a huge player here. Uh, the media also got conflicted about how to report the protest. And you can very easily read a, a lot of things that just if you are just sitting and reading um, various competing articles, you might think they're talking about two different protests, two completely different protests. Yeah, that's yeah, very true, especially when you see some of the footage. And, and some of it is alarming we were talking about these uh the tractors that were being led through uh, you can see footage everywhere from the bbc to the times of india to other places where 
it seems scary with with individuals on tractors driving towards large crowds, um, pretty scary situations. You're also going to see tons of uh, government security response, just dozens and dozens and dozens of people with large weapons, like batons essentially, running at crowds and hitting farmers, or at least, you know, getting in scuffles with farmers. So there's definitely a violence that's represented either more or less in in the reporting, depending on how... I, I You can easily slant to this story, is what I'm trying to say. And you will see, as Ben said, both sides. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's, it, you always have to ask, right? The, the motivations for a source, are there bad actors? Uh, is there an ulterior motive? Or are people sincerely telling the truth as they see it? But there's, there's kind of the lay of the land. So farmers unions believe these laws will end up destroying the Mandy system. And they say it will leave farmers, especially smaller, poorer operations, at the mercy of large corporate forces, that this will further enrich the powerful while passing the cost of change on to the disadvantaged. Tale as old as time, you know what I mean? Not to be too beauty and the beast about it, but it wouldn't be a sudden plot twist for humanity if that were the case, right? Some of these visuals, and then as they're being described of like, you know, um, anti-protest kind of almost like goons, you know, with batons or whatever, beating these people down, makes me think of like boss tweed union busting type scenarios, you know, from uh, days of, of yore here in America. Um, but it's not that far off. I mean, there there is, you know, it's a different system. There's different elements at play and there's different stakeholders. But at the end of the day, it's about, you know, taking advantage of the working class and not, giving them the protections that something like a union or these government contracts afford. That's exactly what the supporters of the protest uh, would would clearly argue. You know what I mean? Big Pinkerton energy right now in, in these protests and, and the way people are cracking down. We should mention you can read the full list of demands of the protesters, which was sent to the government back in December. It's pretty easy to find. Just search on your browser of choice. Uh, that's another difference between this and uh, some earlier protests like the Occupy movement, which uh, critics alleged did not have a focused list of demands, which is very important in these kind of protests. Yeah, and one of the big, I guess, blanket demands is repeal these three laws. You'll <laughs> hear that repeated over and over and over again when interviews with individual protesters. If you repeal these laws, we'll be gone. We'll be out of here. But it's not that easy. It's never just that easy. There's. Should we get into the pros and cons, or do we want to do that later? Maybe after we take a quick break or something? Yeah, let's pause for a word from our sponsors, and then let's, let's pro some stuff and let's con some stuff. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right. Sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. 
It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know... What were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. And we're back. Ben, I I don't know if anybody else is feeling this way, but big Pinkerton energy is my new favorite thing. And is that something you came up with or have you heard that before? BPE. I love it. You need to TM that, put it on a t-shirt, big Pinkerton energy. (laughs) Like, whoa, bro, that's some big Pinkerton energy. Ooh, bus unions. (laughs) Right? Oh, boy. Uh yeah, we it's weird that we have not done an episode on the Pinkertons in this in this show, but they they're one of those phantom topics that shows up a lot. So for anybody who doesn't know, the comparison we're making is to the world's first private detective agency that was also uh and I think we talked about this a little bit on ridiculous history, right? And all they were also instrumental in a lot of dastardly events. Well, <laughs> they're they're kind of the first extra government 
entity, you know, like Blackwater and things like that. I mean, they really represent this, like, you know, extension of government activities without actually having to follow the laws of governments, you know, and have plausible deniability or whatever, which is why, you know, they were employed for those kind of things because they were able, they were able to be kept at arm's length so that the government or whomever their, you know, agents were could, could kind of distance themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there were some, there were some people who did amazing work in the Pinkerton organization, like Kate Warren, who uh, was the first, I think, female detective of uh, the Pinkertons her first female. She's known as the first female detective. And she, uh, she protected, was it president Abraham Lincoln with her life? They're, they're, they're heroic stories, but when we're talking about big Pinkerton energy, we're talking about the bad stuff. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about exactly what you're talking uh, exactly what Noel described, which is circumventing, regulations and laws in a way that uh, allows for plausible deniability on the side of the people who should be obeying the law. Anyway, that's what the, that's what the protesters are saying. If we look at the pros and cons here, then we know one of the pros is that the idea, one of the pros for people who support these bills is the concept of freedom of choice. I don't have to just sell to this government entity. I can sell to whomever I please, right? Uh, so that's that's tricky because, you know, freedom of choice is one of those words or one of those phrases that gets thrown around a lot because it sounds good, right, as a, as a talking point. You know, like here in, here in the U.S., um, we, I don't know if we ever talked about this, but here in the U.S., there was a huge hubbub when uh, ISPs, Internet Service Providers, and the FCC uh, were, were getting into it, into what can be regulated, how pricing works, etc. And uh, a, couple of, a couple of Internet providers in the U.S., there aren't a ton of them, a couple of the big ones, uh, slashed, I, I think they increased what people paid for the amount of Internet speed they got, and all the while, it was being advertised as uh, responding to the consumer's uh, demand for freedom of choice. I love the nod there, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, mm -hmm. I'm nodding for YouTube. Yeah, it's sort of the same way that like the big polluter shifted the burden of pollution onto the consumer <laughs> with uh, these ad campaigns for recycle, reduce, reuse, and all that. You know? Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, hey, we are we are giving you the power. The power is yours. Also, all our mistakes are now your fault. Mm -hmm. yep. yep. And we're going to keep doing exactly what we're doing. Yeah. Um, should we keep going down the pros or give a con for every pro to like keep it balanced? How do you want to do this, guys? Well, uh, let's 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 back and forth with it, because okay. uh, one one thing that we should be clear about. Is the minimum sale price guarantee. It's a it's a huge issue that gets brought up pretty often. But a couple of estimates suggest that only about 6% of farmers are really enjoying the benefits of that system. So there's a question about how effective the current system is. Nobody is saying it's perfect, by the way. It has disappointed everybody at some point. So you can find other bite-sized facts 
you can find the pros and cons listed in plenty, but be very careful where you read those pros and cons, because some people do have a horse in the race in, in their reporting. Um, you can very easily get into the weeds of the bureaucratic process of the system as it stands. But I think maybe the best way for us to get a sense of the conflict here is to, you know, is to read the farmers demands themselves, which are easily available. Absolutely, because we we read the laws, right? Essentially, we reread the main parts of the laws. Let's tell you exactly what the farmers are demanding. We'll just go down the list here. Number one is, as we said, roll back all of the legislation that just went through those three mandates, those three laws. The second one is to make sure that this Mandy system that is in, that is in place right now or has been in place historically for quite a while remains. Also, they uh, they demand that their loans be cleared. Um, and also that a law should be made for minimum support price to be at least 50% more than the weighted average cost of production. And if that MSP or minimum support price is not paid, it should be a punishable crime. This uh, feels like a very basic thing. Pay us what you owe us, right? Yeah. But, you know, uh, right right after... Also clear all our all our loans that we've taken out, right? <laughs> Which right. is like, you know, to me feels a bit like a poison pill because it that that's just my opinion. When you put something in like that, which you're just imagining all of the money involved with clearing all the loans that are currently out through for agricultural purposes in India, it just doesn't seem possible, right? Yeah, yeah, but the the idea there is that those that third and fourth demand are connected because they yeah. would argue maybe they only had that debt in the first place because they were not getting paid. Uh, so there's some, there's some, uh, what's that song? There's some bitch better have my money vibes for sure. <laughs> Shout out to Rihanna who will make an appearance in this series. It's a cameo we're setting up. No, seriously, <laughs> believe us. Uh, the, the last of the big five demands is that a law should be put in place that guarantees payment uh, from the buyers through middlemen uh, to ensure that banks don't take a little piece of the money in the name of loan recovery. You know what I mean? Like the way the IRS might garnish someone's wages. They said, okay, don't stop getting a VIG, banks. Those are their demands. I like what you say about poison pill because it may it may indeed be a deal breaker there i i just i have to be slight devil's advocate cuz you know, isn't that money that the banks take doesn't that have to do with paying off current loans or paying off current debts right yeah like a garnishment almost yeah like that's what you said i just um like I can imagine, ah, man, I, I don't want to be on the side of banks, Jesus, or, or you know, like big <laughs> government coming through and making regulations that make it harder for everybody. But uh, I, I can understand why they're doing that and why those interests are very powerful, right, to push forward this legislation. You can see that happening. Totally. I mean, you know, when we look at what these opposing sides want, we see understandable things. Like from the government's perspective, and to be fair, the perspective of some other farmers unions in India, not a ton, but some of them, these bills are at the very least uh, a good, if imperfect, first step in fixing an admittedly imperfect system. 
But from the farmer's perspective, from a lot of farmers' perspectives, these bills will have the opposite effect. They're saying we're going to have to negotiate with corporate sharks from a massively weakened position, and these big companies are going to be able to come to us and dictate the terms of any given deal. So instead of someone protecting us with our $10 uh, minimum price for rubber, right, we will be at the mercy of uh, however these companies feel on that given day. If they, they feel in a good mood, maybe we get $10. If they don't, maybe we get three. Uh, we have lost the ability to predict what will happen in the future. But there's one more group in the conversation here, or one more genre of group. As these protests continue, at times turning deadly, some folks in India and abroad believe there's more to the story. They believe that when it comes to the protest, there's something the protesters or maybe the government doesn't want you to know. And when we when we return in part two, uh, we might have a quick hear of the facts, but it's going to get very crazy very, very soon. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the allegations of a my favorite phrase in, in this in the entirety of our research, a hidden Calistinian hand. I love it. Big, big conspiracy energy there. We're also going to talk about authoritarian concerns. We're going to talk about a war for hearts and minds online. Uh, this this is going to be a crazy journey. I think it was the right thing to make this a two-parter. What do you guys well, think? I completely agree. Because like we said at the top, even like with the surfacey scratch we did on that uh, uh, listener mail episode, it really took a whole episode to fully to define all these terms and even wrap our heads around it. So by the time you're in episode two, we're g- you're going to be fully armed to take this uh, very real and very current and evolving issue on. Yeah, this is how it's going to go in part two. Ben's going to say, here are the facts. And then I'm going to say, listen to part one. And then Ben's going to say, <laughs> here's where it gets crazy. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. And in the interim, of course, we we want to hear from you. You know, we're very cognizant. We are very aware of the fact that we are uh, we are not native speakers. We are outsiders. We have we have learned what we know uh, through reading and through conversation with the best part of our show, your fellow listeners. Uh, so please reach out to us with your thoughts on um, on this protest, on how it's being reported. Uh, please let us know about, of course, other pieces of news in your neck of the global woods, because a lot of a lot of these stories aren't um, making it to the West in a comprehensive way. And in that lack of transparency, of course, speculation will always thrive. We try to be easy to find online, for now at least, until the Pinkertons get us. <laughs> That's right. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are Conspiracy Stuff. We're Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. You can also follow us as individual human people, if you wish. You can find me on Instagram at Brown. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Bolin, HSW, if you'd like to write to me directly. Uh, you can also observe me having various misadventures on Instagram, which uh, I have named in a burst of creativity at Ben Bolin, B-O-W-L-I-N. Matt, is mm-hmm. this one of the episodes where you disclose your personal social media? Yes. Uh, behind me, there is a jimbe drum that is illuminated. And if you can visualize that in your mind to a sharp enough level, you can commune 
commune with me at any time. It's sitting right here. It is a vessel for uh, spiritual contact. So please reach out to me via Jimbe uh, whenever you get a chance. <laughs> That's the best way. The only way to fly. Mm-hmm. You're, you're way faster with Jimbe than you are with text. I, oh, I yeah. will admit that. It just resonates. And immediately I'm like, huh, what was that? And then, uh, yeah, we have a conversation. Uh, and speaking of conversations, if you're not someone who sips the social meads, why not give us a call directly? We have a phone number. That's right. It's one eight three three stdwytk If you choose to call, you will hear Ben's, uh, well, let's call them ominous tones. As he tells you, you can turn back or leave a voicemail. And when you finish telling us your name, uh, please leave a message. Keep it as brief as you possibly can. If you want to leave anything specifically for us, people who make this show, put it right at the end of the message. You've got three minutes. If you want to tell us something that's longer than that, you think, well, put it in an email. We still have one of those. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's KidSafe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.